Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Well, good morning. As she said, my name is Greg, and Julie and I have the great joy of serving as Bible translators with the Zabana people in the Solomon Islands. So I want to just share one thing, and that as I share today, I came here as part of Faith Promise, and my hope and prayer is that wherever you are in your journey of faith and in your journey with regard to missions, that the things I share could really encourage you to know that God loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine, and that he is good, and that he is faithful to be with you on that journey. Well, Julie and I work in the Solomon Islands, so I'll show you on a map where that is. Most people don't know where that is, and that's okay. It's about 1,500 miles from Australia, right between Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu. And this is Pacific Melanesia, so they're not Polynesians, they're Melanesians. So they'd be much darker. Some of them look very African in their appearance. And then the next slide, <clears throat> this is a linguistic map of the Solomons. The Solomons have 70 different languages, and Julie and I work with just one language. That's the Zabana people, and they are up where the bright yellow arrow is located on Santa Isabel Island. Briefly, a background on us. I'm a physical therapist. Julie's a registered dietitian. We worked for years in our careers, and then we joined YWAM, Youth of the Mission. And the Lord really used YWAM to open our hearts, open our minds to like what God is doing around the world and what part maybe we could play. We went back, served in our normal careers for many years, and eventually felt the Lord leading us to join Wycliffe and become Bible translators. So we left our job left the security of the yuppie lifestyle, <laughs> went back to school, got our linguistic training, got to get a theology degree from Dallas Theological Seminary, just so I could be helpful as a Bible translator. And then we went to Papua New Guinea for our jungle training, that's to learn how do you possibly survive in this remote village where there's no electricity and live the tale of the tale. And then eventually back to the Solomons and then eventually out to our village. So I wanted to show you a couple of pictures of our village so you know what it looks like. So uh, we, live, we live in the village of Kia. Now, Kia is a fairly large village, and the houses are built on stilts. Whether they're on the land or they're in the sea, they're going to be actually in the water on stilts. And we didn't have a place to live. You know, we had nowhere. We didn't know anybody there. It's really miraculous how the Lord opens the door. So this family found out about, it, about us and said, you can come and live with, uh, with us. This is Moira and Aaron. And I want to show you, this is their mom's house. What they said is, you come, we just built a brand new hut, you can live in our hut, we'll move next door with Moira's mom, and you can stay with us. Talk about, you know, hospitality, that's incredible. So they did. And then this, and then the next picture, and this one to the left, that's the house that we stayed in with our three small kids, ages uh, seven, five, and three. It was an exciting time, you can imagine. <laughs> so we ended up living with them for three months while the men in the village helped build a house for us. Well, part of their job was to watch out for these dumb white people, you know, <laughs> not knowing what's going on, and to keep, keep an eye on us. Also to help us kind of get to know Zabana culture, the Zabana language, and to keep us safe, because it is a fairly dangerous spot in the world. They have a lot of malaria, a lot of dengue fever, a lot of sharks, and a lot of ocean-going crocodiles. The big guys. I like that one. So, and it's funny, looking back, when I read that brochure about becoming a Bible translator, I don't remember it saying, be a translator, come live with crocodiles. <laughs> so that was going to be our circumstance. 
So Moira was trying to explain to me one day how to be cross-state. I thought, that sounds good. I'm getting a little nervous. Now, in our village, we have all these huts. And then over here on the far side is a big river. And that's where the crocodiles stay during the daytime. But at nighttime, the flotilla begins. And they come floating into the village. And they actually crawl up between the, the huts looking for a quick midnight snack, usually like a dog or a cat. I'm getting nervous at this point. So she says, now, I want you to be prepared because, well, I didn't tell you this. This is important. Now, the huts on the water don't have doors because it's just so oppressively hot. It's right on the equator, and they need that ventilation. So she said, I want you to know, Greg, that sometimes during high tide, the crocodiles will jump into the huts looking for food. <laughs> well, my pale face just went paler, and my eyes got really big. I thought, oh, my goodness, what have we gotten into? And she goes, oh, Greg, now don't be nervous. I don't want you to be scared. I'll tell you exactly what to do. I said, okay. Well, she said, a couple of weeks ago, we had a croc jump in our hut. And here's what I did, and this is all you got to do. So, okay. So she said, I went and got a couple of pots and pans, and I started banging them really loudly, and I started stomping on that floor, and I walked towards that croc, and I said, you get off of my hut. <laughs> and that crocodile just got up and went right back in the water. That's all you got to do. That did not help me. I'm from Kansas, for goodness sake. So the funny thing was, they got such a kick out of so many things we did. But from then on, every night, I got a big piece of plywood. I blocked that door. I got our cooler and a couple of canoe paddles, and I braced it in there. There was just no way any crocs were coming in my hut. Well, before I go on, I want to share... Wasn't that scary? I was scared the daylights out of me. Well, I wanted to zoom out a little bit and talk just a little bit about why missions and why Bible translation of all things. Well, missions, I love the motto in YWAM, to know God and to make him known. That really kind of sums it up. As we get to know God more and more, he changes our hearts so that we have a desire for those things that he wants. And I also wanted to mention the idea of being blessed to be a blessing. You know the part in Genesis 12, it's called the Abrahamic Covenant, is where Abram is told by God, leave your people, go to the land I'm going to have you go to, and I'm going to bless you, and through you, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And that's really referring to you know, Mary, being his descendant, that the Messiah would be born through her and become the savior of the world, and that's what it really what it's talking about. So it really is the kind of beginning of missions in the Bible. So that's a wonderful thing for us to keep in our mind, that we are blessed. God loves us. He does. But it's not all about us. He loves us and he blesses us so that we can be a blessing here and wherever he sends you. And that's just a great thing to keep in mind. There's a scripture that you all probably know very well, and that's from Matthew 28. I just wanted to highlight a couple of points from it. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. A lot of things are key in that, but what jumps out to me is, one, it's his idea. So if it's God's idea that we go and be a part in missions, well, that's a good thing, because he's got all authority. And he promises to be with us on that journey. So that's an encouragement. So the Lord's touching your heart and you're thinking, I think the Lord's leading me down that road. Have peace because he is guaranteed to be with you. 
Another one thing I wanted to share was a quote from John Piper. John Piper is a pastor who's written extensively on missions, and I just love what he says in this quote. So, is that up there? There it is. <laughs> it says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal in missions. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. But worship is also the fuel of missions. When the flame of worship burns with the heat of God's true worth, the light of missions will shine to the most remote peoples on earth. I really love that. When the flame of worship burns with the heat of God's true worth, as we get to know how incredible he is, it's just a natural outflow that we begin to want to share that love, and it reaches to the ends of the earth. And I just want to encourage you guys as a congregation. Hillcrest has had an amazing commitment to missions for years, for generations. And that's a testimony as a congregation. You know, our predecessors have desired so much to worship the Lord and then to be obedient to share. And that's an incredible heritage, not very common in a lot of churches. So that's a, a wonderful thing to celebrate. So, why Bible translation? Well, just so you know, last year, where we are roughly, there's about 7,097 languages on our planet. And there's a definite need for about 1,700 to 1,800 languages. These are languages that don't have any scripture at all in them, and they're waiting. And that represents about 160 million. So it's a big job. It's a lot of languages. A lot of those languages are located in some of the most difficult countries in the world and some of the most unreached parts of the world with the gospel. So the need is huge. But why don't they have a Bible? I mean, really. You know, in this modern day with computers and cell phones and you name it, why don't they have it? It's really interesting. It's very complicated for some places, but typically one of the main reasons why they don't have a Bible, this, is gonna, this blew my mind when I heard this, because they don't have an alphabet. That's it. They just don't have an alphabet. Oh, my goodness. Well, we can fix that. All we need is someone to leave their culture, come over and plant in their culture, and be with them and learn that language. Now, you can't learn that language in school or in books, right, because it's not written down. So we need someone to live with them, learn the language, figure out an alphabet that would fit that sound, teach them how to read and write their language, and then together with them, translate the Bible. Now you're thinking, oh my goodness, that's a big job. That's a hard job. <laughs> okay, it is. <laughs> but it's a wonderful job. And it's so doable because we have computers. Computers are awesome. And we have all these wonderful you know, computer software engineers. God bless them. They are writing these amazing programs for Bible translators so we can do it faster and more efficiently. It's awesome. Oh, another thing I want to mention about Bible translation is that it's crucial for really fulfilling the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples and teach them. What better way for them to be able to have it straight from God's mouth right to their language so he, they can hear. A couple things to mention, too. I love Bible translation. You know, all missions is great. Every aspect of missions is wonderful. They're all needed. So Bible translation is just one slice, but it's a really important slice. Bible translation is incarnational by its nature because when people don't have the Bible in their language, you know, God's far away. He's kind of distant. He's not relevant to their existence, their life. He doesn't care about their circumstances from their perspective because they can't hear him talk. But 
When God speaks their language, all of a sudden everything changes. He's speaking right to their hearts, and that completely opens their heart to the Lord. So crucial. Another thing, too, is that it's holistic in its ministry. When people are, are preliterate people, we like to call them, they're illiterate, but they're preliterate. Oftentimes in these countries, they are the most vulnerable and marginalized people in their area. So when we go in as translators to help them, we're teaching them how to read and write, giving them the Bible, but then that raises their life. They're able to then be literate, and that opens huge opportunities for them as people for employment and so on. So it's really a, a very holistic thing, which I just love because it's very it's wonderful once you live with them and you realize, wow, they have needs. I get really emotional. <laughs> I should warn you. Okay. And also is the Bible is the most, the best, the most awesome missionary. When we come home from our short-term trips and our long-term trips and our career mission work, the Bible's still there. It's still speaking year after year, generation after generation. So men and women in the future can hear God speak to them and hear how he loves them. And that is so awesome. But that's really exciting to be a part of something that is so far greater than your one life. So if you're thinking about missions, I vote for Bible translation. Okay, now some of you are thinking, all right, well, why don't we just go teach them all English and they can read the English Bible, for goodness sakes. Well, first of all, that is totally ethnocentric. <laughs> and it's not going to work. Let's pretend that we don't have a Bible. Okay, we've got churches, we have no Bible. The only thing that we have access to is the Russian Bible. Okay, so that means that we have all got to learn Russian to a fluency level so high that we can read the Russian Bible and feed ourselves and grow spiritually. What do you think? It's not going to fly. It just doesn't work. You need to have it in your heart language, your mother tongue. Because language, if you don't know about this, language and culture are completely intertwined. So when we bring the scriptures into that language, we're actually bringing it into that culture where it's incredibly powerful to change those things within that culture. So very, very important. So we're going to turn the tables on you. We are going to pretend that we are a church. And this is like this all around the world. We do not have a Bible in our language. The only Bible we happen to have is the Zabana Bible. There's only two people in this room that speak Zabana, but that's all we got. And so I'm going to read a verse to you in Zabana, and I want you to feel what's happening in your mind and your heart when, you get, when this is all you get. Okay, here we go. All right, is that, is that doing it for you? Is that hitting it right there? <laughs> okay, so now you know how it feels. Okay, now a lot of tribes, they have a Bible translation in a related language. It's not their language, but it's related. And this is what they have to work with. So, for example, you know, Italian, French, both romantic languages, same language family. So today, we're going to experience that. So I happen to speak Swedish. And so we're going to read the Swedish Bible. Now, that's related to us because we speak English. It's Germanic. And let's see how much you can get out of Swedish. All right, here we go. So älskade Gud världen att han gav den sin enda son för att den som tror på honom inte ska gå under utan ha evigt liv. Any better? Okay, maybe not so much. Okay, so now I'm going to read it in your mother tongue and want you to feel the difference. This is what we were saying in the languages. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's good news, and it's good to hear it in your own language. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, when I finally learned enough Zibana to be helpful, it was time to pick our mother tongue translators. So I got in a canoe with a bunch of men from our village. We went to all the major Zabana villages, and I presented my translation plan to them. I said, I don't know who's going to be a good translator. You guys know. So you pick the men and women that you think will be good. They got to know good Zabana. They need to speak some English, because we're going to be translating from English into Zabana. You send them to Kia Village. I'll train them, and we can do this together. <laughs> so I went back to Kia the night before our workshop, my first workshop, I was thinking, hmm, there's this funny thing in Zabana culture. We have three yeses. We have the yes that means yes, with the yes that means eh, maybe, and we have the yes that means no. And I swear, <laughs> it is true, and I swear as an outsider, you cannot tell the difference between the yes that means yes and the yes that means no. So I was thinking about who was going to come, you know, and I was thinking, oh no, what if it's the yes that means no, and they're not coming? And that had happened to me before. So I began to pray, oh, Lord, could you bring just, you know, maybe six or eight people? If you could bring 12 people, that would be awesome because we could get the first draft of the New Testament so much quicker. So the next morning, I went down, set up the church, got all ready for them. I'm waiting, you know, are they coming? And sure enough, a bunch of canoes start arriving from this side of the island, from that side of the island. By the time I was ready to start teaching the first workshop, are you ready for this? There were 57 people at this workshop. Yes, got the picture. That's incredible. What an answer to prayer. But really what it was is a reflection of their heart's desire to want to have the Bible in their language. So important. As a matter of fact, the chiefs and the leaders of the Zabana tribe had come to Wycliffe 10 years before we got there and got on a waiting list and said, we want to have the Bible in our language. So send someone. And they had to wait because there's just so few translators. So, and there are people like that all over the world who are waiting for someone to come. Well, once we started translating, then it was time for them to take what they were writing and to test it with people. So I told, get people into your huts, read to them what you've written, make sure, are you picking the right vocabulary? Do they understand what you're saying? Well, one of our translators, her name is Marilyn, and she is a kick in the pants. She is so fun. So she came back really excited said, oh, I got to tell you this story. I got a bunch of ladies in my hut, and I read them in my translation, and here's what they said. They said, Marilyn, when they read that English Bible at church on Sunday, well, we don't speak English. We don't get anything out of that. But when you were reading in our language, we understood what you were saying, and it was wonderful. We want more books like that. So I was doing some testing of my own. I would bring people into the translation office, and I would have them sit down. I would read them parts of the scriptures we're working on. At this point, we're working on the Gospel of Mark. And I thought we were, you know, doing pretty good at this part. So I invited Joseph to come. Now, Joseph's one of these guys, you know, the people who just kind of, kind of stoic, you know, no emotion. Well, this is going to be great. <laughs> so I'm asking Joseph, okay, tell me what you think. Here we go. So I'm reading along, and all of a sudden, Joseph bursts out laughing. Well, I don't know about you, but as a Bible translator, that was not what I was hoping to experience. <laughs> My heart just went, oh, man, I thought we nailed this section. Okay, Joseph, so you're laughing, so you're like, what's the problem? He goes, oh, Greg, I'm sorry. I'm not laughing because it's bad. 
I'm laughing because it's so good. I can't believe I'm sitting here and you're reading to me in my language. I understand everything you're saying, and it's just so good. I just, I just had to laugh. <gasps> oh, what a relief. And it's really interesting. I've had that reaction from a lot of people, and they just are so overjoyed to finally hear it in their language, they start laughing. Well, we finally finished the Gospel of Mark, and it was time for us to celebrate by reading that in the churches. So we picked Mark 4. You know the parable that Jesus tells about um, sowing the seeds, you know, the farmer, and then there's the good soil and the rocky soil and so on. So I was in the back with our translators. One of our translators read up front in church. Now, normally on a typical Sunday, people are, you know, they don't speak English. So honestly, they're kind of looking around. They're not paying attention because they can't understand it. Not so this morning. They were sitting rock still, just, just listening, hanging on every word. It was clear. They knew what was being said. And after church, people were coming up and shaking our hands and saying, thank you so much for finally giving us part of God's word in our language. This is great. Well, that morning, there was a young man who was there, and he was really affected by what he heard. So he came up to one of our translators named Ian and said, Ian, I've got to talk to you. I was there this morning. You know, I don't speak English, so when they read the English Bible, it just means nothing to me. But today, you guys are reading in my language, and I understood and I actually felt like God was speaking right to my heart. I felt like he was saying that I was that soil that has all the thorns and thistles and the cares of this world that have just grown up and are just choking out the life of God in me. I need someone to talk with. I need someone to pray with. Would you do that with me? And Ian said, sure. And he did. Whew. How powerful when God speaks their language. Well, when we finish the Gospel of Luke, and first and second Timothy, it was time for our village testing. That's one of the later stages that you do when you test the scriptures. And you invite a lot of people in the office and you read in two days, you read all through Luke and all through first and second Timothy. Very exciting for me to see the reactions. Oh my goodness. When we started reading it, they were so engaged with the text. As they heard things they really believed in, they were saying, that's right, amen, and getting all excited. Um, and they have a thing, they would look at me and they would point at their chest and say, God's shooting me in the heart. And that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> that means they're really being touched. It was just incredible to watch. But one of our main translators, who's Isaac, said, now, Greg, if you think they're going to react good to Luke, wait till you see what happens to Timothy. Because, you know, how Paul writes. Paul's like really direct, you know, and they love that kind of speech. So sure enough, we got into 1 Timothy, and everybody's really shaking their head, and they're really getting engaged. It was, it, normally, they're kind of quiet people. So I was like, this is incredible. People are waving at me and pointing at their chest, so I knew that God was shooting them in the heart. It was awesome. <laughs> well, it was starting to get a little bit late, and um, in our village, boy, when it gets dark, it gets dark. There's no electricity, and it's a tropical rainforest. We don't have any roads. We just have footpaths, and it rains all the time. You think we got rain? Oh, you haven't seen nothing yet. <laughs> and so these footpaths are always slippery, and a lot of the people who are helping us are elderly people. So, you know, being a good physical therapist, I'm thinking, I got to get these people home so they don't slip and break their hip on the way home. So I closed down the meeting. I said, thank you guys so much for coming. We've covered so much territory. It's awesome. But I want to get you home safe. Well, why don't we stop here? You guys come on back tomorrow morning, and we'll pick up where we left off. Well, they didn't like that. They started, what? What are you talking about? We're not going home. And they started reacting. I was like, oh, my goodness. So one of my friends, Nathaniel, spoke up. He goes, Greg. You have got to understand, this is like food to us. We don't want to go away and not find out what Paul's going to say next. So if you don't mind, we would like to stay. I said, okay, 
we can do that, and we did. Well, finally, it really was too late, and they really did have to go home. And so people are leaving. And when there's an older woman named Virginia who took me aside, and I want to share a little bit about her story. I think we have a picture of Virginia. That's the, there she is. Virginia's on the right. Allie's on the left. I spent a day with them in their hut just visiting and having a blast. They were trying to teach me how to open and crack open nolly nuts. Nolly nuts are awesome. They're just kind of like a macadamia and an almond all mixed together. They're wonderful. But their shells are super-duper hard. And so, you know, they have no trouble. They're just cracking them. And they're trying to teach this dumb white guy how to crack these nolly nuts and having a hoot because I was terrible at it. I was making a mess, and they thought that was so hilarious. <laughs> so Virginia, her story is, is that she's starting to lose her sight. She's starting to go blind because of cataracts. And her heart's desire is she wants to be able to read God's word in her language. So she's been attending literacy classes, and she now can read and write, which is super exciting. And whenever we print a trial edition of a book we finish, she gets that and she practices reading, reading the scriptures in Zabana so she can learn. So this is Virginia. So Virginia took me aside that night and said, Greg, this was wonderful. I loved hearing Luke. I loved hearing Timothy. But my heart's also heavy. Our people, you know, they don't understand this. They don't understand God. They don't understand how God wants them to live. They need to read this. They need to hear this. So your translation team, you guys keep doing it. Give us more books of the Bible because our people need this. I said, yes, ma'am. Well, in closing, I wanted to share a couple of things with you. So wherever you are in your journey of, of missions and your faith walk, I just want to share, be encouraged. Don't feel obligated. I want to make sure that's clear. When I was in college, I wasn't raised a Christian, so I had a steep learning curve when I came to the Lord. And when I was in college, I had a roommate who was really into missions. So one day I said to him, well, praise God, you're called and not me. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? But, you know, that's where I was at, and that's okay. The Lord understood that, and he took my heart and changed my heart over time. So if you've ever had that, Lord, don't send me to Africa, if that's been your experience, don't worry. He understands where you're at. I also don't believe we're all supposed to be cross-cultural missionaries. I don't think that's really accurate. We are the body of Christ. Some are the feet, some are the hands, and so on. But if God's stirring your heart, you can trust him that he's going to take care of you. But we can all participate in some aspect. We can all pray. We can all give. And then together, as a team, we can have an incredible impact. I really want to encourage you to look at those things on the wall, those bios of those people. Every single one of them can use more prayer. And I can guarantee you, every single one of them can use more money. <laughs> so pray about them. Read them and see if the Lord connects you with some people that maybe you could partner with. Because that's an awesome thing be able to partner with God. And mainly, I just want you to have that relaxation of saying, Lord, I just want to surrender. Whatever you have for me, I just want to be obedient. Whatever it is, both reaching out here domestically and also overseas. So, let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are so good and you are so faithful. And I know you're talking to hearts. I know there's people that are thinking about short-term missions, maybe long-term, thinking about supporting missionaries, Father, I just pray that you would guide each and every person, give them peace, give them trust in you, that you are in control, and that we have the joy of participating with you in this endeavor to share your love with people here and to share your love with people around the world, Lord. Use us, use us as a team, help our efforts to be effective, multiply what we do, and let it bring incredible impact for the kingdom, for your kingdom, wherever it goes around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.
Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.